Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Today's scripture comes from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 24. Indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. We have behaved in the world with frankness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and all the more toward you. For we write you nothing other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand until the end, as you have already understood us in part, that on the day of the Lord Jesus we are your boast, even as you are our boast. Since I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a double favor. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to ordinary human standards, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason it is though through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment. But I call on God as witness against me. It was to spare you that I did not come again to Corinth. I did not mean to imply that we lorded over your faith. Rather, we are workers with you for your joy. Because you stand firm in the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everyone, everyone, no exceptions, you and me, every single person in this room is afraid, fearful of something. I don't care how big you are, how tough you are, how mean you are. We're all afraid of something. Some people are afraid of heights. Some people are afraid of spiders. Some people are afraid of political advertising. Don't turn on TV. Some are afraid of bats or the dark or alien invaders. Some are afraid of long sermons on Commitment Sundays. We're all afraid of something. But fear is good for us. 
We may not like the feeling of fear, but fear is a gift. Fear alerts us that there is potential danger. There's potential risk. Pay attention. You may need to act. Remember that thing we learned back in high school biology or psychology, the fight, flight, or freeze syndrome? It's what we do when we are presented with danger. Now, for most of us, a fear reaction is only a a, a short-term passing mild discomfort. It alerts us there's a danger. We know to be careful. We know to pay attention. The, the, The danger moves on, and we move on. No big deal. But there are some, for some, there are fears that are paralyzing. You know that expression about making a mountain out of a molehill? There is something for some of us about fear that that actually amplifies our reaction far beyond the actual risk. You know what I mean, right? We blow it way out of proportion. We call those phobias. I have some phobias. I'm claustrophobic. I do not like small spaces where I feel like I might be trapped. I actually have a few other phobias, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm a little fearful of the hijinks that might ensue. So I'm keeping them to myself. According to several websites, the top 10 phobias that are out there commonly in society are arachnophobia, fear of spiders, Ophidophobia, a fear of snakes. Acrophobia, a fear of heights. Aerophobia, a fear of flying. Cynophobia, a fear of dogs. Astrophobia, a fear of lightning and thunder. Trypanophobia, a fear of injections, getting shots. Social phobia, a fear of social situations. Agoraphobia, fear of places that are difficult to escape. And mysophobia, fear of germs and dirt and contaminants. I think we all have that after, after COVID. But there's one more I want to add to the list this morning. It's one that I especially seem to notice every year at stewardship time. It's called gamophobia. Gamophobia, the fear of commitment. The fear of commitment. Well, today's Commitment Sunday, and I'm just very conscious there might be some gamophobes in the room, so I just want to check the room. Is everybody okay? Take some deep breaths, right? Nobody's hyperventilating. Anybody need first aid? Do we need to call 911? Are we okay? we're going to talk a little this morning about commitments. Now, gamophobia may or may not be an issue for anyone in this room, and there's nothing wrong with being uh, wise about the commitments we make. None of us want to get into the wrong commitment. None of us want to enter commitments prematurely. None of us want to be coerced into commitments. None of us want to make commitments we're not sure about or one that we might feel stuck in. I look around the room, I see a few of you that I think would remember the 80s and 90s when we used to buy music on cassette tapes and CDs. Do you remember that? Anybody remember the Columbia House Music Club? It it appeared in magazines all the time. If If you just signed up, you could get 12 or more CDs of your own choosing for free. It was an incredible deal. 
The only catch was you needed to buy so much more music over the coming years and pay full price plus shipping and handling. But the real issue was once a month they would mail you a little brochure and it would let you know here is the music you'll be receiving next month that you'll pay for unless you return this postcard with a stamp on it letting us know you don't want it. Well, it was so easy to just kind of forget about that. And the next month, you're getting both the music you don't want and the bill for it. It was kind of a scam, right? That's the kind of commitment that none of us want, stuck in a situation that we didn't fully understand. I'm sure all of us can think of more costly examples than the Columbia House Music Club. But I'm willing to bet we can also think of commitments that have blessed us. That's what I'd like for you to do for just a moment. What are the commitments in your life that you have made that have been a blessing to you? The greatest blessing of my life is the commitment that I made in marriage. Being a pastor has been a significant commitment in my life. For most of us who parent, having children is a significant commitment. And personally speaking, joining this church in August of 1989 was probably one of the most important commitments I've ever made. When my family lived in Tallahassee uh, and my son was entering into middle school, I signed the two of us up for karate classes. It was something he had expressed interest in, and I thought, this could be something that that dad and son bond together doing. So I signed a contract. I agreed that we'd pay so much a month, whether we made it to class or not. And so initially, my commitment really was to my son. I've said we're going to do this. I, I wanted to keep that promise. But also, there was this contract, and it was very, I was very aware that if we weren't there, that the money was just going to waste. And so that was the commitment. But about a year or so in, my son lost interest. And so he quit, but I, had, by that point, loved it and kept going with it. So I kept on. But, but my commitment no longer had anything to do with the contract, and it had nothing to do with how much I was spending on classes. It had become a passion for me. I was there every time the doors were open that I could be. In time, I got better. At time, they started asking me to help teach classes. I would still be doing it if my knees and back hadn't betrayed me. But you see what I'm talking about. There's those commitments that we make that just feel like obligation. And there's those commitments we make gladly because we recognize that we are blessed in the commitment. I am convinced that there is something inherently spiritual about making and keeping commitments, even the ones that don't seem overtly religious. There is a word that appears throughout Scripture called covenant. That's the kind of commitments we as Christians enter to. We make a promise and we intend to keep our promises. And it seems to me that as people of faith, we also want to be people of character and integrity and keeping commitments is part of how we do that. Our commitments are how we show the world that we can be trusted, that we will be faithful to the promises we make. It's a sign of our spiritual maturity. Now, let me be clear. All commitments aren't equal. All commitments aren't the, the, the Columbia House music commitment. Clearly some, like marriage and career, are more important. 
commitment to church is more important. And undeniably, there are some commitments we ought to avoid. They're not good for us. So think about that for a minute. Think about your commitments. Through your life, which commitments have you made that you've come to regret? And which commitments have you made that have been a blessing to you? Which commitments have you made in your life that have challenged you and grown you? Which commitments have deepened your faith and your knowledge of God? And can you think of any commitments that God has made and kept with you? I would argue today that God is the supreme example for commitment-making and keeping. Throughout Scripture, God is the one who initiates covenant out of covenant, often with people that it's quite clear will not be very good at keeping their side of the commitment, and yet God always does. Today's reading from 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth, which he always had a bit of a tumultuous relationship with. Apparently, the issue in this particular passage is that Paul had indicated certain travel plans, including a visit to Corinth, that ultimately had changed, and he was being criticized for being wishy-washy or a flip-flopper. You haven't heard that lately, have you? He said, no, that's not the case. Verses 16 and 17, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on to Judea. Was I vacillating? Was I flip-flopping when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He's saying, that's, listen, Just because I changed my plans doesn't mean I'm undependable. In essence, he's claiming that when he makes plans and decisions, that he is being led by the Spirit. And so he goes on to basically make a rather bold claim that when I make a promise, that I'm doing it in the same way that God makes promises to us. Verses 19 and 20. As surely as God is faithful... Our our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, was not yes and no, but in Jesus it has always been yes. For in Jesus, every one of God's promises is a yes. Now, it may at one level seem really silly. Are we really talking about criticism for Paul's change of travel plans? And does he really have to claim this level of spirituality to defend the choice? And yet sometimes it's in our smallest actions. Sometimes it's in our smallest promises. Sometimes it's in our smallest decisions that people discover whether we're trustworthy in our commitments or not. Paul is boldly claiming that his yes meant yes, just as God's yes always means yes. And what is God's yes? God's yes is Jesus. Jesus is God's affirmative commitment to us. In him, in in Jesus it has always been yes, Paul writes, for in Jesus every one of God's promises is a yes. Yes. 
Jesus is God's ultimate commitment to all of us. It was in Jesus that God came close, entering into our life, taking on our flesh. It was in Jesus that God made the kingdom of heaven available to us. It was in Jesus that the unconditional love of God was revealed both in word and action. It's in Jesus that salvation is offered and guaranteed. It's in Jesus that death has been defeated and eternity has been made available to all who want it. As it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, if God's yes is for us, who can be against us? In the book titled The Divine Yes, the Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones reflects on this passage and he says Christianity means to say yes to God's yes. Christianity means to say yes to God's yes. To surrender to God's will and you will be saying yes to God's yes. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways we say yes to God's yes is in the spiritual commitments we make, including the one we're asking of you today. Jesus said, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And let me state this as clearly as I possibly can. When we talk about God's commitment to us, to you, and to me, do any of us doubt that God is all in? That God's commitment to us is unconditional, absolute, unwavering, uncompromising, unequivocal. It's everlasting. God made us. God acted on our behalf in human flesh in Jesus. God has adopted us as spiritual sons and daughters. God has bestowed upon us countless material and spiritual blessings. God is undeniably faithful. God is always faithful. In the, Old Tech, second, in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, verse 14, King Solomon, at the time of the dedication of the temple, prayed, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. I don't think any of us ought to be surprised that God asks of us, calls of us, to make wholehearted commitments. And let's be clear, God does that for our sake, for our spiritual benefit. Whoever benefits from half-hearted commitments, ever made a half-hearted commitment to a diet? How did it go? Ever made a half-hearted commitment to the gym? How did it go? Ever, anybody ever been in a marriage where there was a half-hearted commitment? or a business partnership where there was a half-hearted commitment. God knows that we are capable of wholehearted commitments and that we'll be blessed by them. And so just a moment, we will invite you to complete your commitment toward the coming year. Henry Nouwen writes, you must claim your spiritual truth while everything around you suggests disclaimers. Your commitment has to come right from your gut, 
right from your center, right from your heart. So we're going to open the altar. We don't do that a lot except for communion Sundays, but we will today. We're going to invite you to come to the altar and symbolically to dedicate to God your pledge for the coming year. Some of you have already made your pledges. We're so thankful for that. Some of you brought your pledge card today, and you can bring that forward. For everyone else, there, there is that gold-colored card in your bulletin that you can let us know what you're doing today, that you've already pledged, that you're bringing your pledge, or you'd like us to contact you about your pledge. All of that is appropriate. This is a moment of spiritual dedication to, to not just write the check or the intention to write a check, but to pray, God, receive my commitment. I, I dedicate it to you. Before I invite you to come, there's two things that I'd like to share. First, I've always told you I'll never ask you to do anything that I'm not prepared to do myself. And so Kelly and I have already made our pledge for this year. Throughout our entire ministry, we have practiced the biblical principle of the tithe, which is giving the first 10% of your income to God, what's called the first fruits. My salary here at First Church is $87,000 a year. It's a generous salary, and I'm so thankful for it. Thank you for that. And so our tithe to this year's budget will be $8,700 a tithe. But recently, Charlie challenged us to consider going a little beyond. So our pledge for the year will be $9,000. That's not a big increase. But imagine if all of us just did a little bit more, the difference that could make. I don't say any of that to to brag. I just want you to know that I'm not doing anything, asking anything of you that I'm not going to do myself. Let me say one more thing. We all know that First Church is facing some challenges. We are going to be forced to make some very big decisions in the coming year about our future and what that might look like. I'm convinced just that you're here today for this commitment service means that you and I share a common conviction that we want First Church to be a strong, healthy church, that we want this church to grow, that we want it to be spiritually vital, that we want to be a valued resource in our community. But friends, I think we all know we've got some work to do, that God isn't going to just do it for us. The future of this church in the coming year, the future of this church in the coming years has everything to do with what we're about to do, to make a commitment, to be part, to support, to believe in what God wants to do through First United Methodist Church of Orlando. And so I invite you to come. The altar is open for you. What commitment will you make? There's nothing to fear. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org 
forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.